Kohalet by Madison Scott Clary. R.J. Brewster, 2112. Ade slowly picked himself up off the floor, staggering to her feet. It was standing, swaying in the middle of a long row of lockers, and then it was sitting again, not from weakness per se, but the shock of being in the tech booth in theater sim, and then suddenly back in high school was taking its toll on her wits. They swiped her paw from left to right in front of himself to bring up the usual menu, only no menu came up. There was nothing in this sim, if sim it was, no global menu, no ACLs, no control. Panic crested again, broke the surface. Ade felt behind himself, reaching for that sense of reality outside the sim, that cool breeze of the tangible that should be at her back. It was there. It could feel it, a cool breath of air on the back of her neck, but muffled. Only there was something keeping him from reaching it, touching it, a thin barrier, a membrane, a sheet of keeping him trapped within the sim. And then with a jolt of pain driving like a spike down the back of her neck and along her spine. It was gone. Throughout all of the practice runs, the endless training on the rig that had gone into her education, that feeling had only come up a scant handful of times. It was the feeling of being forcibly disconnected from the rig through the manual expedient of removing the contacts from the cradles in which they rested. It was the shock of being brought to reality from out of a sim with no disconnection. It was the rush of her exocortex dumping its core, and the interferites struggling to hand back control with the last of their stored power. It was panic made tangible, halfway between electricity and the feeling of missing one's step on the last stair. And with that, Ade should have found himself back in the tech booth, trying to figure out what strange loop the theater had gotten itself into that would have frozen her rig. The lockers never wavered, though. And now, it found himself stuck in her old high school with no contact to the outside world, outside of whatever this place was. He screamed. He didn't know how long he screamed, how many times. He didn't know how long he cried or beat her fists against the lockers. He didn't know where it was. Lost. Lost like so many others. Lost like Cicero. Or perhaps Aeneas. Odysseus, sing to me the reasons, O muse, sing, muse, the fatal wrath. Eventually, he cried himself out, minutes, hours. Eventually, her tail went numb and her feet fell asleep. Nothing for it. He wobbled to her feet, kicked off now ill-fitting shoes, shoes not made for fox paws, and began to trudge. He walked slowly down the halls, memories coming back in a wash, realities blurred effortlessly realities of the embodied world, realities of online life. Nails on feet paws, clicking against the tile, following the math wing to the student center, a cavernous space that acted as terminus for all the different hallways, each hosting a different subject. They spread away from the cavernous room like limbs, a giant insect clutching at the earth. Neither halls nor hub had ever seen a fox. They were supposed to be home to students, to students and teachers and staff, to humans, to anyone, not some lone half-beast. Inside the student center, Ade sat down and tried to reach reality once more. Nothing. 
I sagged, rolling onto her side in their increasingly frustrated attempts to pull away from the contacts, though that shock of pain suggested those in reality had long since pulled them away. Frustration, anger, fear, hopelessness, terror, all simmered within him, working up to a boil as they tried increasingly harder. Finally, I gave up and, hastily brushing the tears staining their cheeks, slipped out of her tux jacket as well. Why keep it? Yet another unfoxly garment. I swished her tail to the side and lay flat on her back on the cool terrazzo floor. I pulled her suit jacket up over her face and buried her muzzle in the soft lining. With paws holding the cloth to her face, I deliberately let the tears come, willed them to, forced, screamed and begged anything for release from the tension building up. Time held no meaning. It was a few minutes or... Hours or days before I peeled the coat from her face and stood up once more. Exhausted, I bent down to roll up the cuffs of her slacks to keep him from bothering her feet. It was in the middle of the second cuff that I realized the absurdity of the motion. In the theater sim, I didn't have a body. And when I woke in our normal sim, I was dressed only in the clothes they had on when I went to bed. Usually nothing. I disrobed before disconnecting more out of habit than anything. So why was I still in our tux? Did I even have a tuxedo in our wardrobe? Aude puzzled over this for a moment before completing the cuff rolling. Something to look into later. For now, I needed to find her way out. Find her way back out. Or failing that, at least find one thing I could finish. One simple task to complete. Something to make him feel less powerless in the face of it all. Exploring, then. The sim was startlingly complete. Perhaps. It had been in London for years, and before that, on the coast at university. Was it complete? Was it accurate? Despair lay around the corner, the thought that the chances of them being able to compare the sim and reality vanishingly small. In fact, the only thing that seemed to have changed was Aude himself. Aude's curiosity won out, and made her way back to the school auditorium. It was exactly as they'd left it all those years ago. Trudging up the few steps toward the entrance, I feared it would be locked, missing, somehow erased from existence, such that it had never been there in the first place. But the door swung easily beneath their paw, and her nails clicked against the sound guard in the doorway, leading them into the dimly lit hall. The house lights were at quarter, the stage lit only by utility lights from the back. All the same, it was enough for him to find her way to the small sound booth. A counter with a light, off a bank of sliders and knobs, all zeroed out. Aude brushed her finger pads along the lower lip of the soundboard. The screws were exactly where I remembered. Swishing her tail out of the way, I sat on the stool before it. I reached a paw up past the master sliders, just around the back of the board where I found the power switch. Click. Nothing happened, so I reached a little further back, finding the power strip for the booth itself and toggled the switch on that. The board let out a satisfying pop of recognition as it came to life. The brief surge of power echoed throughout the room as speakers awoke. The theater uncoiled, purred to him, just as the one back in London had done, what, three hours back? Five? A year? A fumbled with the booth light, finding the ancient dial switch to wash away the shadows with lazy red light, light that illuminated a thin layer of dust covering the board and booth in a matte coating, light that illuminated countless motes already disturbed. The only breaks in that coating were where her fingers had brushed the dust away, leaving black slicks. 
So familiar. So many dreams. Dreams of flawless performances of breathtaking beauty. Nightmares of feedback and missing equipment. Acting on a dream, I slowly brought the master volume up to the spot I still remembered from so long ago, turned the gain to mid on mic one, and brought the slider up slowly. Blinked. A soft hiss filled the hall. The channel was open. That doesn't mean anything, Ade thought. There could be anything plugged into the snakehead in the pit, aligned with a powered mic, a wireless receiver, hell, a fault in the system. All the same, it was something. Something in this seemingly abandoned hulk of memory was turned on. Something else besides himself was making noise. It was about to head down to the pit to check on the snakehead, the terminus for all the microphone cables or wireless receivers that stretched up to the board, when I caught sight of a sheet of paper, folded in quarters, tucked between the side of the board and the wall of the booth. Aude plucked the paper free and unfolded it, held it under the red light of the booth lamp to get a closer look at it. There, in tiny print, was a good chunk of the content of the V-card I had created earlier that morning to add to Sasha and Debar's deck, Cicero's DDR ledger, containing transactions that comprised votes made, bounties collected, and comments posted. A note, though. Doubly weird. The paper didn't act like a normal V-card. No menu, no ACLs I could sense. And yet, the closer I looked at the paper, the more the data seemed to unfold, fractally nested and seemingly infinitely deep. I blinked, and the moment passed. The note, once more, contained only tabulated transactions. Frowning, Aude refolded the note and stuck it into her trousers pocket. A small scrap of the outside world stuck in this elaborate fantasy. You've been listening to Kohalet by Madison Scott Clary, book one of the Post-Self Trilogy. Read by the author. Kohalet and this podcast are released under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. Music by Chad Crouch, released under a Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution Non-Commercial License. Kohalet is available as a paperback and ebook at kohalet.makyo.inc. That's Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H dot M-A-K-Y-O dot I-N-K. If you'd like to support more of my writing, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash makyo. That's patreon.com slash M-A-K-Y-O. Thanks for listening. Toledot, Post Self, Book 2, comes out January 21st, 2022. You can learn more at toledot.makyo.inc. That's T-O-L-E-D-O-T dot M-A-K-Y-O dot I-N-K. You can also find the series at post-self.makyo.inc. I do hope, once you're done with Kohalet, you give it a read. <laughs>